This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Scientists discovered a new snake species in the southern state of Tamil Nadu. Enthralled by this new discovery, researchers jumped on to the next task. Well, that's naming the snake. But hey, it's not an easy thing to name a snake. Let me tell you why. The researchers have a specific process for scientific naming of the species. First and foremost, the snake has to be described. And for that, the snake needs to be looked at in a greater detail. It was also important to look at the closest family it is associated with. In this case, the new species was said to be similar to banded racer, a widespread species in India. Hi, this is Sharda Balasubramanian and I'm doing this podcast for Suno India. So, when the work began, it began as a simple species description project in the late 2016. However, later researchers realized that the banded razor had a complex taxonomic and nomenclature history and a simple description paper grew into a revision, said Deepak Veerasamy, the primary author of the paper, who also works at the Natural History Museum. I also got to speak to Surya Narayanan, a researcher from Atri and also one of the co-authors of this paper. And we talked to him to find out more. The whole India has banded razor and parts mm-hmm. of Pakistan also. So then we had to compare the compare our new species with the previously described banded razor. So usually the usual okay. process is when you have a new species in the hand, so you know what is the close relative to it. or what it is previously confused with right right so right. you have to compare your species with the already available one so you have to dig the type specimen there are five type specimens for mm-hmm. all the species so you have to check the type specimen and see how yours is different from that so you have to check the previous description or the type specimen if you can and all that so the researchers went on to the next task of describing the snake During the description process when the researchers were actually writing some other portions of the paper they get an email from Frank Tillag their german collaborator and also one of the co-authors of this paper and he said hey stop this work there's a huge mess the entire confusion here was the new snake's similarity with the banded racer the researchers then got on to the banded racer's description first and then they compared it with the newly found species the description of banded razor was done on the basis of snake skin collection that was collected in 1796 and these are in the museum's collection in london so here's what the mess was all about what happens is in the year of 1856 albert gunther an english scientist makes a catalog that describes snake species based on the collection at the natural history museum So Gunther instead of writing 21 cites plate number 29 which is actually a wolf snake and not a banded razor Both these species were actually mixed up and both these species were commonly found in India Frank Tillag noticed this mismatch in the common names on both paintings and literature 
and over weeks through emails and independent opinions from experts, discussions on these new findings went on. So in this case, historical archives from museums helped in sorting this confusion. How were these snakes collected in the past and how they were illustrated? Surya takes us back in time. So what happened is initially when uh, Brits and uh, during the colonial era, when people started describing species, mm-hmm. not everybody had uh, type specimens. So there was one concept called iconotypes. Mm-hmm. So people only draw them. They do illustrations. Okay. So you don't have a physical specimen as such, mm-hmm. but it, so your description will be based on an illustration. You would have got a specimen and you would illustrate it. Right. And some either you will describe it based on the illustration or somebody else will describe uh, describe it based on the illustration. Right. Okay. So there's one fellow called Patrick Russell. So he lived around in Wysak for a long time. Uh, he lived around in 1700s, 1750s to 1780s or something. He was there. So he had collected a lot of specimens around uh, the coast, mostly around the Coromandel coast. And he had got specimens from Arni, he had got specimens mm-hmm. from Tanjur, a lot of places. Like he, he may not have gone gone all these places, but people would have given specimens. Right. Those days it's very common. Like people, mm-hmm. there are, there were jugglers, they collect specimens right. and sell it to the Brits. So they okay. get some money. So this Patrick Russell, what he did is he's the first one to put a lot of illustrations together, like scientifically. Mm-hmm. And we call him father of Indian ophiology. So he had made a lot of illustrations, mm-hmm. a series of illustrations and with short descriptions. But he did not assign a scientific name to any of this. So he just made illustrations, gave uh, regional names and mm-hmm. some uh, data about like how local people call it and what is some myth about it, Some all that information he had given. Ophiology here refers to the study on snakes. Deepak and his colleagues also looked at a series of natural history paintings produced in 1836 by a Danish physician, zoologist and botanist, Theodor Cantor. Cantor was working for the British East India Company and he was the first Western scientist to collect and scientifically describe many species like the king cobra, Cantor's black-headed snake, northern snakehead, lesser black crate, Chinese cobra, among many others. He also collected paintings of many of these animals, including the snakes. These are now at the Natural History Museum in London and at the Bodland Library in Oxford University. The research team studied these images from Cantor in greater detail. And these paintings are so detailed that even the number of scales on the snake's head can be counted. And this can clearly differentiate two species. Deepak, through a series of analysis with the paintings, illustrations, and snakeskin collections concluded that none of the skins collected in 1796 were from the banded razor, but instead belonged to a completely different species called the wolf snake. He told me, and I quote, We summarized data for 50 individuals of banded razors across its range and 11 different individuals of the new species. We show that these two species are clearly distinct in scale arrangements, color pattern, and also have genetic differences. All the molecular lab work for this study was done while Deepak was in India. So there were no issues there. However, access to collections became tough. He had to wait for six months during the lockdown, but eventually got access to the museum's collection through his colleagues in London. Only after fixing both of these issues, 
our route got cleared only then you can describe your species when the other species is in the mess you can't do it right so that's how so it started off with one species description mm-hmm. then we got into a trouble and then okay we thought we stepped in so we'll resolve the whole mess with this research paper banded razor and the new species received new names the new species found in tamil nadu was named as joseph razor after navin joseph who worked on this species and then passed away and the entire effort was supported by kristin malo from the berlin museum and german researcher frank diller among many other researchers and experts so i just want to ask this sort of curiosity like so yeah. what are the repercussions of such colossal mistakes in in sort of you know misnaming or mistagging a species like how does it impact it impacts a lot just like yeah. you completely misidentified one species for a long time hmm. right so mislabeling makes a lot of problem these mm-hmm. things would not directly impact conservation as such these are just nomenclature issues it's just how you address somebody okay. are you going to call the person with the right name or wrong name but you don't you don't uh, fail to acknowledge the presence of the person you know these guys are here maybe right. the names are shifted that is completely fine mistakes right. do happen Hmm. but there in the past there are instances where people take specimens from one place and wrongly tag it that would create a lot of mess some person had taken them like collected one specimen from here and hmm. wrongly tagged saying some place in central india so hmm. now your your distribution goes until central india and if this fellow this person is not alive anymore imagine 100 years before okay how are you going to cross confirm it you can't you right. the only option is you have to trust it otherwise like proving the absence is very diff- difficult you can't prove the absence at all that right? is so true. wrong tags like that is a huge problem wrong names these are nomenclature issues right. something that we keep fighting with each other that this name is roy and this name yeah. is right and that name right? yeah. doesn't impact conservation as such how has research and evolution of modern science helped conservation to know this i spoke to renowned herpetologist varad giri the taxonomy is a basic science it's a it's a it's a fundamental science no because it gives the name and right. the conservation starts with that anything related to research or conservation it starts with the name right. and that science is really very crucial in that way very vital in that way so what is happening now because of this uh, modern techniques uh, phylogenetics and everything right our understanding of conventional taxonomy is changing quite drastically and uh, see science is dynamic things do change you know uh, what we used to think earlier today that is not the case earlier two species were supposedly two species because they had those typical morphological characters and so on and so forth right. but now with the advent of this uh, dna we started understanding their evolutionary trajectories mm-hmm. they also started looking at you know oh, their uh, uh, evolutionary thing and right. uh, that is changing our understanding of taxonomy as well that is changing like the taxonomy that's why it is quite a lot of uh, uh, changes which are happening now also what the study brought forth was the need for museums for future reference When I spoke to Deepak he told me that this work was possible only because of the old collections kept in the Zoological Survey of India Calcutta and Bombay Natural History Museum in India and several other European museums 2 years into the study Deepak and his team managed to find two specimens at the Natural History Museum in Vienna 
which matched with the new species that was found in Tamil Nadu. These two were collected in Salem in Tamil Nadu in the 1870s. Museums play such a crucial role in demystifying this mix-up. But how much of an importance or thrust are we giving in setting up such good museums? Considering that India has so many the wealth of species that we have, do you, don't you think we should have like a kind of museum that's really one of its kind? Like- we are a country which we proudly say that we are a biodiversity-rich countries in the world. But the best museums right. are there in the countries where there is no biodiversity. They have the repositories. They have everything. Like go to NHM, Natural History Museum, London. See, one thing what I realized is mm-hmm. we have taken our biodiversity for granted. For us, our, it is there, no? We are not concerned about it. But those people value mm-hmm. it because they don't see it on a regular basis. Right. For them, right. everything becomes really very important. Deepak says that museums are somewhat similar to libraries. Like many books which are out of publication and which are only now found in libraries, there are several lesser-known species which can be only known based on the museum collections. And these offer invaluable information on biodiversity. One does not have to collect everything and preserve it in a jar, but many road-killed specimens could be useful for future taxonomic research. Such studies help indirectly in conservation of an area. For example, only when we understand the true diversity and rarity of species in a given area, we could plan on how to conserve them. In India, we do have a few old museums like the Zoological Survey of India and Bombay Natural History Museum, which also have some important specimens. However, Deepak said that we could certainly improve the quality of repositories in India to have temperature and humidity-controlled environments to store these specimens. This would help in maintaining the conditions of some of the specimens which are over 200 years old. From history to modern science to now, where are these new species? Joseph Razor located. And how much do we really know about this snake? Surya has the answers. Yeah, naturalist, very little of information is available. Mm-hmm. One is the non venomous and they're terrestrial. They're ground dwelling. They don't climb, is what we all believe. So, non venomous, terrestrial, and they're, uh, if you see, look at the whole distribution, they are mostly in the rain shadow regions of Western Ghats. Okay, if you are traveled down to south, Tirunelveli, Madurai, all that open yeah. lands that you see, right. open grasslands, they are found there. The rocky, scrubby open outcrops yeah it is all found there we've never seen them in the woody uh, habitat never found in the woods okay. it's always in the open lands and like some when you clear some mess you find them inside quite mm-hmm. rare it's not very com- common to right so right. that also makes sense they're habitat restricted if you come towards the uh, eastern Tamil Nadu like mm-hmm. Pondicherry, Kadalur and all that it's all mm-hmm. wood, woods now like mostly plantations and all that but if you see the mid central from Madurai road uh, mm-hmm. Not E-Road, maybe Madurai, Karur, mm-hmm. and further go down south. Mm-hmm. It's all that grassland. And then in the rain shadow regions of Western Ghats. Okay. Like very much range restricted towards that specific habitat it is. And even before the researchers could find out more about the snake, the habitat now seems to be fast disappearing. Surya tells us more. And now it's, these habitats are going on a toss. Right, so all this habitat uh, changes. Yeah, yeah, grasslands are completely changing. So I was doing my 
uh research in uh, kentian on the grasslands for mm-hmm. two years like mm-hmm. uh, south of tirunelveli and uh, kanyaku parts of kanyakumari mm-hmm. so i was studying uh, with atri only in 2016 and 17 okay so okay. i was studying uh, there is one community called uh, this herding uh, community grazing community called kona community so they mm-hmm. graze this uh, sheep mm-hmm. specific where a breed of sheep right. so they keep traveling from the, the sheep can't stand in one place so it, they have to keep walking all day right so they travel a lot and all these grasslands uh, in tamil it's called meekal porambukar mandai porambuk so mm-hmm. these are grasslands mentioned only for i mean uh, given only for grazing okay you can't convert technically mm-hmm. according to the gazette of india these mm-hmm. are mandai porambuk okay grazing wastelands grazing lands not even wasteland these are grazing mm-hmm. lands but a lot of loopholes here and there so these graz- grazing lands are actively converted into plantations because of availability of water now Right, okay. earlier they never had technologies to water. Now you have drip irrigations, so availability of water is increased, and also mm-hmm. river linking issue uh, issues yeah. in that area. Right, where so then Tirunelveli, there's a place called Kennedy Canal. Mm-hmm. Okay, from Kennedy Canal, they are moving surplus to the dry regions, which is the uh, Paykulam and all these regions. So when mm-hmm. these places gets water, mm-hmm. of course they'll do farming. So these habitats are on a pause. That is one thing. Now there are more plantations there. the grazing land is given to companies which not just take away the habitat of the species but also snatch away the grazing land for people and in turn impact their livelihood also when there is monoculture and when the entire land is filled with just one plantation the prey base also changes and the prey changes and in this case we would not know where these snakes would go active cultivation of dry areas is a mess more surveys would be needed to know about this impact you're not directly killing the snake as such but by killing the prey habitat you are going to kill these snakes too and that's another thing to worry about currently this habitat is under a huge threat one we have like discovered this species but then how we don't even have much information about it and then conservation yeah. is another big question because the habitat is getting lost so how, how do researchers yeah, yeah, would yeah, yeah. you know kind of work in this kind of situation and how do you think i mean these, these people have been lobbying and all that but much not much to you know a uh, uh, success so what do you think in this kind of situation how can conservation i think we need to go? we need to work with people we need to engage mm-hmm. as many people as possible like at the end of the day we need to correlate that particular animal with the local people also now we need to tell them that this is your species now these are yeah. the things which are occurring in your landscape that is something which is really needed one more thing which is totally needed is a, a strong strong political support now look yeah. at maharashtra now because the how many new conservation reserves got declared here what are the new things which are happening hmm. very good things are happening pertaining to biodiversity here and uh, probably uh, the credit goes to the government because they are interested in doing all these things you know and we need to motivate the government also in that direction so i think we need to work very hard see we are losing a uh, we, are, we are fighting a losing battle today at the end of the day the way things are happening so right. we are on the verge of our own extinction and along with that we are mm-hmm. finishing everything no so yeah no, very true uh, the thing is work with people try to convince people try to encourage people everything we need to do like this we need to work at a grassroots level we need to work with people no absolutely we have to absolutely. no we have to change our attitude to uh, towards the species we describe as well 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. You can listen to more episodes on our website sunoindia.in or on any other podcast platform of your choice. Thank you.